Hello, you're listening to What I Did Next from ANT Media. I'm Malak Fouad, your host. What I Did Next revolves around people's personal and professional crossroads and looks at those trajectories from key pivot points. My guests are multilingual, multicultural, with roots in the Middle East. They're engaged, curious, and passionate about knowledge and strive to make a difference in the world. My guest on the show today is a pioneer of women's rights in Saudi Arabia. Dr. Lama Al-Suleiman blazed a trail for women well before it was fashionable for the Western press to comment on gender equality in the country. Lama was one of the first women in Saudi Arabia to be elected to business boards and was at the forefront of this becoming the norm in the kingdom. She holds a PhD in health and nutrition and received global attention for her work on the Jeddah Chamber of Commerce and other committees. These days, Lama focuses her attention on her family's wide-ranging business interests. Our conversation today is broad as well as deep, taking in family, work and health issues, and these have all contributed to making who Lama is today. As we meander through her journey, we discover a positive, thoughtful and conscientious person. As most of you know by now, I like asking our guests to pick five people they'd like to invite to a make-believe dinner party. I find four or five very uh, difficult. I met a lot of people throughout my journey and um, I can have every week four or five. So I think that's ten. <laughs> that's very nice, Lama. <laughs> um, I met a lot of people and I met a lot of interesting people and I've even met a lot of nasty people and I've learned from everybody. Everybody had an impact. Everybody had a use in my journey. So, um, Taban, there are the people that are your backbone and that mostly are part of my family. Uh, people that brought in security and stability in my life that would for sure be my father. I mean, the lifestyle he, we were lucky to grow up in, that on its own is a stability one might not take into Uh, you know, you think it's normal, but no, I've realized a long time ago that this is not normal. So I was very lucky for the hard work he's done and the stability I've had. Uh, then, of course, I have a husband, which also is very supportive. And I've been married for forever. <laughs> it feels like it's forever. <laughs> so, yeah, so always there in my journey as well. Um, and then comes everybody else on the outside. On the outside, you... You can't deny the, you know, the amazing teachers that passed through your life and that inspired you or supported you in times of weakness. And then you have the amazing bosses and the nasty ones you went through. So both had an impact because, I mean, those that did not feel too great seem to have made you only stronger. Uh, and then at work... And then at work, it's the same. It's the good and the bad. And I appreciate both. So you could actually, as you said, you could have a weekly dinner party and by theme. So one week you could have family, one week you could have your evil bosses, one week you could have your nice bosses and so mm -hmm. on. Absolutely. Because they all had an impact Absolutely. and they all were, I mean, great to have in, in one's journey. All right. So um, the other staple question is uh, perhaps easier to answer, um, which is looking at uh, your favorite book, your favorite piece of music and your favorite film. 
the ones that had an impact or the ones that have a fond, you have a fond memory of, for example? I, I, I thought about it as well. And I have, I have very similar answer to this. I mean, every book had something. Um, um, I love reading. And I love reading not because I look at the whole book I read, but because I love the moment where you read a sentence that tends to trigger something in your brain and you go, oh, wow, that was so well said, or that was so new, or that make me, is making me push for something I never thought of. And this is the part of reading that I, I love the most. Uh, Are you mainly a fiction reader or a nonfiction reader? No, no, I'm a non-fiction reader. Right. I've, I've tried to read fiction. It just, I, I can't continue. It just, I get bored halfway. Right. And... I find reading is very, um, the things I get interested in tend to vary uh, as in different phases of my life. So, uh, you know, have you been impacted by, I mean, I know you're a scientist by training. Are you more of a scientific reader? Do you read about science? Do you read more... A lot of people read self-help books. Um, do you read about uh, global issues? Where do, where are you currently? Where is your thinking currently? So yes, I love to read books on ideologies and facts. Um, I am very interested on how um, um, the world has created laws and um, and how they have described or defined some of these ideologies when it comes to things like so basically human beings decided there's something called capitalism and socialism and communism and and all of these different way of thinking and different way of creating systems that create that will bring um, at the end consensus or should have brought at one point consensus so that people can live together in a more harmonious uh, life. I'm very interested in this, in these theories and how, uh, so I'm also interested in the, the in, in books on communication and therefore will also then carries me to politics. I love politics. I love how it, um, how it takes different directions according to who the people are more than what the systems are like. I think we're in a period of, of great movement in this area as well, not just on the national level, but internationally. It just feels like there's a a, a shift happening all over, um, you know, starting in 2008 from the financial crash or and now with COVID, I just feel that we're in a in a moment of huge flux that's effect, going to be affecting us all. And we don't yet know how. Yeah, we're transforming basically into a new era. And um, so I love to also read history because going back to history, you find that I mean, human being evolve very slowly, in my opinion, very, very slow to, um, um, in comparison to the speed that uh, um, everything else is developing around us. So we're the same. So whether, um, so you and I could be here during prehistorical time and having a conversation, but we still have the same emotions, the same reactions, and the same. Um, but everything around us has developed so fast today it's developing so much faster that i can see my children that are considered adults so my youngest is uh, 22 and my eldest is 32 they're the bulk today around the world and they and they move fast but at the same time they have 
too much emotions. They're not too sure of where they're going. It feels all the time that they're competing. They're trying to save the world because they are aware of it, but uh, too much is happening. And that's also difficult. So it is difficult today. A strong believer in hard work and the benefits of volunteering to change lives and attitudes, Lemma, like most of us, has had major pivots along her journey that have made her stop, recalibrate, and launch herself again along her path. Unlike her siblings, Lemma went to university in Saudi Arabia. My older sisters had studied abroad, and I think uh, in the I think it was 1983 when I went to university, and I. I believe that my dad at that time thought that, you know, since we Saudi has a university, there was no need to have the girls travel and let them stay here next to us. Uh, I'm one of two, the, the, the two younger ones. So I think it's just change of uh, change of plans. Yeah. And yeah, so I wasn't too happy about it, but for sure, I wasn't a confrontational personality. So I was going to do the best out of it. And in, and in hindsight, do you, um, do you think that it was, you know, maybe you learned some good lessons from being there. Maybe you made some connections that you might not otherwise have made if you had left at a young age. Um, listen, today, I think that I would not have been me if I had traveled, for sure. Uh, first of all, this need to prove something constantly came because I remained back home. As you said, the friends I've had, I've made, local friends, and then the understanding of my own culture. I really today understand who we are. I, uh, we are very diverse. We are all Saudis, but um, I've lived with the most radical Saudis and and the most liberal Saudis. And and those years of university are so formative that having been there, you you certainly will have absorbed those, you know, those elements, which is wonderful. Absolutely. And and you know, you were you say you were always trying to prove yourself. Well you certainly did and you you know you're a very accomplished woman and we're gonna talk about that now. Um, so you then went on to do a master's and your PhD abroad in, in the UK? Yeah, no, after that, I tried to look for a job in Saudi, which was not very easy because um, there were only few jobs uh, for women in the education or in the health sectors. There's nothing else. So then I went back to the university. They had a hospital there and a research center, and I accepted a job as a lab technician. And then one of my professor was a lady and she basically inspired me the most. So she kept saying, you know, Lama, as a lab technician, you work here, you're in university, in a research center. Why don't you continue, you further your education? Why not take your master's and your PhD? This professor that you had who encouraged you to further your studies, was quite pivotal. You know, she, she took you into another direction that you perhaps hadn't considered. Yeah, actually, she, uh, she was very smart because she uh, dared me. So I said, okay, it's all in. I will do it only if I get accepted into one of these, like, really, you know, elite universities uh, abroad. So I went, I applied to Imperial. They rejected me. And then I applied to King's College in London, and, um, and they accepted me. 
I mean, I pushed, I remember, you know, I did not uh, accept to be refused. After being refused by Imperial, that was quite, I mean, it wasn't a shocker, but um, I didn't expect them to be that fast, you know. <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> That's a hard lesson. Yes, very hard. So I decided to go to Kings before they answer me so that at least I can ask for an interview. You know, it was the trend. I played woman, Saudi Arabia, always looked at as being, you know, a uh, need support, Western world, Commonwealth, UK, yeah, grants, yeah. You played all the cards. Country. You put all the cards Absolutely. on the table. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, um, and they did. I must admit. I mean, they um, they did respond well. I do believe that some of these universities and that Kings gave me an opportunity of a lifetime, and that for me is very pivotal, because that really moved me up in the world here locally and internationally. After I graduated and I had a PhD, I was now a person who had the right to be heard. What I find interesting, Lama, reading you know your your, your background, is even though you got the PhD, you ended up not really focusing on that field. You you used it as a as a launch pad to other things. Yeah. So throughout my 14 years, so I worked at, for 14 years as a lab technician. I enjoyed much more my social help and social work I did. Saudi Arabia women were very, at that time, due to the lack of opportunities in, in many sectors, Saudi women really participated in welfare work. In lieu of formal work, basically. This was how women could participate. Yes, so there was a lot of volunteering and I... And I felt alive when I volunteered. I felt alive when I, when I tried to make a difference or or lobbied for something that was important. I know, I know you're you're still involved as much as you can be uh, with a lot of the social issues going on now. But um, tell me then, the, what what came next for you in your in your journey? So 2003, I passed my uh, viva at Kings and. Uh, they tell me that I have a PhD. The funniest part is that I expected to feel different. And it was so funny that just a couple of hours earlier, it was me. And now I'm just uh, me with a PhD. And doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, 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 the, it's the word doctor that is overrated, seriously, in our part of the world. Uh, maybe not as much in Europe because I've met a lot of impressive people who had PhDs but were not called doctor and while here everybody wants to call me doctor and um, it seems to be something that you uh, impose on people you must be called doctor so that you're heard uh, I'm hopefully um, uh, no more into this category I, I believe that I always explain to people that my PhD was in uh, public health and nutrition, and that my PhD had nothing to do with what I do today, uh, whether it is in business or whether it is in anything. So um, we need to tone down the need to be called doctors and, uh, and to understand exactly. I mean, once you have a PhD, you should be more aware of what 
it means and what you're capable of doing. But, you know, I think our region of the world, you know, these are small, these are milestones that we all we have to achieve. And I think societal change takes such a long time. Uh, you know, maybe in 10, 15 years, someone who has a PhD, as you're mentioning, it will never be even be said. But in today's world, in the Middle East, these things still really do matter, especially for a woman. Uh, somehow you oh, have absolutely. to legitimize yourself by by displaying your qualifications before you are let in the door. <laughs> but it was a pivotal time because it had opened up opportunities for me. So uh, in 2003, so just before, so even during my, my studying of my PhD, I got invited into some um, um, quite reputable committees, committees that were uh, part of advisory boards of some uh, governance and government uh, um, uh, institutions. And um, that also got me very close to the decision makers. And yes, for sure, my PhD had a push in there. But I think also the energy that you show and the, and the work that you do and the volunteering work also is something that we need to understand that you need both. Of course. You of can't course. just have a PhD and not show that you have an impact or a role to play in society. It's, it's interesting as well, Lama, maybe it's also because you, you know, uh, you, because you come from a very sort of well-established and, and, and relative and quite powerful family in Saudi, maybe you wanted to break out on your own and do something in your own right that had, a, had a, um, uh, an impact. It's so interesting you say this. So, um, you know, I'm, uh, as you said, I've always lived in this uh, world. I mean, I can't say shadow, but it is, I mean... I had an amazing grandfather that I have never met, but uh, there were stories and books that were written about him being the first minister, official minister here in Saudi Arabia during the times of King Abdulaziz. And then I was also born to a great man, my father, who was an extremely uh, well-established businessman here, very reputable, not only in Saudi, but worldwide. Absolutely. So that was also Great quite man. something. And uh, uh, people always asked me, used to ask me, they say, so, uh, ah, Lama, so you're the daughter of Sheikh Abdelaziz Suleiman. So I would say, yes, I am that, but I am Lama Suleiman. <laughs> Doctor so, Lama Suleiman as well, <laughs> to make the well, point. That was later on, that was later on. But yani, yes, I, I was, uh, basically they inspired me. I wanted to become uh, somebody on my own, like they did. Yeah. I mean, uh, my father did not live in the shadows of his father before him. And I think I just was inspired by that person before me. And I wanted to also be somebody that maybe, maybe I also wanted him to be proud of me. Of I mean, uh, he wasn't very uh, attentive to um, uh, the kids. And it was something that my mom took care of mostly and... I mean, um, but then the more I did, I could tell, I could see in his eyes how proud he was, how 
uh, happy he was. So even though we did not share many words, but for sure we shared, uh, we shared moments. And that was... Uh, and these are very important then, things that spur you on as well. They keep you going. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot I see around, I saw around me then, and I still see it today. Young girls love to blame or want or feel they need to blame their parents for a lot of uh, challenges that they face in life. And I sit with a lot of these young girls. So a lot of young women today like to sit with me and we have coffee and we have, you know, these okay, some kind of debates and conversation. And, um, and a lot feel victimized or, they, or feel that they could have done more if it was not for their parents. And, and I push that limit. I feel that um, it, it, I did not want to feel like I, I was the victim. It's easy to think of oneself yeah. as the victim. And today's world uh, sort of puts the victim on a pedestal everywhere. But it's important to not underestimate real victims. But I think anyway, that it does, um, and it, 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 it takes away from real victims because everyone's calling themselves a victim, so you don't even see who the real victims are anymore. That is extremely important. That is so true. So, yes, yeah, so I did not want to be a victim, and I was not a victim. And again, yes, I remained in Saudi. I did not get the opportunity to study abroad. Um, um, yes, I lived in segregated environment uh, where men and women were not very uh, collaborative at that time. Uh, society was had, but I can only remember amazing time. I mean, uh, again, I had a stable family, secure. I had an amazing, uh, amazing parents. My mom is Lebanese. Uh, highly cultured, loves to read. I think she installed this. My mom is a fighter. Uh, I mean, um, she, in her heart, she's more man than any man I've known. And mm, uh, she's and tough. She's very tough. And my father is a doer. He uh, loved to achieve things, and which he did. You came to the attention, I think, in terms of uh, uh, outside the Saudi borders, if you like, when you were elected um, to the uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Jeddah. That was twenty. That was two thousand and five. That was two years after my my PhD. I think before I go into the chamber, we need to discuss my journey in two thousand and four. Yes, being absolutely. We do need my, to discuss uh, that. breast cancer. So as much as I was confused during 2003 because I didn't know what I wanted to do, I had left the job and I was seeking something new and something much more interesting. Well, uh, I was revealed with something extremely more exciting and more interesting, which was I was diagnosed with cancer. How old were you, Lama, and, then? Um, How old were you then? I was 38. We'll get back to Lama's story right after this message from our sponsor. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our bonus episodes, available exclusively for subscribers. On each bonus episode, I take a deeper dive into my guests' industries, and I share some extra parts from our conversation. For example, actor and comedian Rami Youssef told me about his thoughts on cancel culture, and ex-anchor and now author Hala Gorani told me her thoughts on the future of journalism. All of these great stories are only available on our bonus episodes, so subscribe now to unlock this amazing extra content. 
You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts by clicking the subscribe button or on our website and get instant access to all our bonus episodes with a two-week free trial. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. You're listening to What I Did Next, and this is our conversation with Dr. Lama El-Suleyman. I still, until today, remember every day and every moment. It's unbelievable. But I will not forget. I was ready to face it. I was ready. I did not have any um, uh, sad moments. I did not feel like... Uh, I did not feel like I needed to prepare anything for the future or Hada. It was the moment. It was now. It was very present for me. Is it potentially, did you, do you think that could be because you're a scientist, but also because you have faith? I think people who have a strong faith are able to cope with these situations um, very calmly. I felt lucky that I was going through that experience because I had faith. I, we have believed that uh, God only challenges those that, those that he loves. So that for me meant a lot. Yeah. So, um, and um, my kids were fine. My husband's, my husband was an amazing father who he was taking care of all four. Uh, I had my sister who was there with me 24-7. And um, you find the right doctor and that's it. Yeah. You follow the protocol. Yeah. There isn't much to do. There isn't much to think about. It's about moving on, getting it all under control. You know, I had a similar experience to you, as you know. Um, did you find that while you were in it, that you were just robotic about it, that you just got through it, and that afterwards you felt the emotional effects much more? Because that's what happened with me. I, I, I you know, I, I, when I was in it, it was uh, just getting through it. But afterwards, it had a huge impact later. Yeah, well, um, while I was in it, until today, I sometimes look for that strength that I had that year, that uh, these emotions, the feeling, it was unbelievable. It was so strong. Uh, uh, I have never felt it again. Yeah. You know, I cannot it's, it's tell you that It's almost machine-like, right? It's like a machine almost. It's something that is a protective scheme inside of us that seems to unleash and makes us only feel stronger. And uh, you see, so that experience was so exhilarating for me. And it was such a learning path. And I, because the whole world around you slows down. I tell a lot of people that are going through Corona today, you know, and all the COVID and the pandemic and no traveling. I say, oh, you know, this reminds me when my whole year, when I was fighting cancer, things looked like the same. It looked like I was stuck at home. It looked like everything was slow. It looked like, uh, but it's very similar to what a lot of people are going through today. I hadn't thought of that. Very, very similar in, in nature. But I, I, yeah, it's a good point. I hadn't thought of that before. Yeah. How did that change for you going forward? What did that mean to you? How did you want to live your life after that? So I had no idea because then during my the end of my treatment, uh, the there were some changes during King Abdullah's time in Saudi and I heard so I was um, um, volunteering at the Chamber of Commerce with a lot of these 
um, uh, women that wanted to start small businesses or just uh, income generating businesses for them. And um, so then uh, I was in Paris during my, uh, the, big, the, the, the end of my treatment and I get a phone call and they say, you know, King Abdullah is now going to allow women to uh, join the chambers of commerce and participate. Um, are you ready uh, to join us? And, you know, I was so ready. Yeah. It, I did not even ask what I was ready for. I think if I was not going through my cancer and all of this, I might have been more reluctant to, to move in. But I did not think. Yeah. I just said yes, and that's it. And then this is another step in my life where everything changed. That's a completely next phase for you, isn't it? This what came completely. after that. So let's go back to your role on the um, on the ch uh, Chamber of Commerce. So in 2005, uh, I became part of a slate, and that slate, uh, a slate of um, 18 men and two women, myself and another uh, colleague of mine. And we won because the slate helped us win because it was a slate of some uh, very uh, strong, powerful businessmen in Jeddah who uh, were committed to uh, reform and make a difference. Uh, so there were only two of us, two women that won the election. And the second election, um, there were no more slates allowed and uh, um, we all ran the election individually. And I won the election, and there was me on my own at that time. And what year is and this, I became Lama? vice chair. That was in 2010 or I 29. See. Okay. And what was your role then? What were you doing uh, as vice chair at that time? Most of my work in the beginning was to increase women's participation in the workforce, whether as business women, uh, whether increasing bus uh, women in business, or whether it was increasing women at work. So um, uh, I worked closely with the Ministry of uh, Labor, worked closely with a lot of decision makers. Uh, I was part of a center at the chamber called the Khadija bint Khwailid Center, which is a center named after the wife of the Prophet Muhammad. She was a businesswoman. She was a successful woman. And uh, Prophet Muhammad worked for her. Very powerful woman. Very powerful. That on its own was an inspiration to... Uh, um, redefine the role of women to make it closer to home. Um, a lot of local women, and I think a lot of Arab women, don't always want to be inspired by Western women. Um, they need to find inspiration within their own culture, within their own. And I think um, Khadija bint Khwailid has been, could be today, and was yesterday, one of the most inspiring women. I mean, she chose the Prophet she uh, was a widow. She ran the business. She traveled the world. Uh, yeah, she was an amazing, he, amazing, uh, amazing story. Absolutely. So she defied all the stereotype of what a woman role in society is. So and, and that was very useful. So your election at the beginning, the, the first one and the second one, they were really not just pivotal for you as a, becoming more of a public person, but they were pivotal in Saudi, and I remember the, that period, it was, uh, you know, a very unique time uh, and very unexpected that women would be uh, put in this in these roles. 
How did that feel for you? Did it feel like it was the beginning of an era that something was shifting? There was, I, I didn't feel these things. Maybe today, if when I look back, I can define it as this. Uh, but at that time, I can tell you, I was on a roller coaster. So it was, there's no feeling, no thinking. It was day to day. Um, I faced a lot of people that were unhappy. So I had many board members that were not very happy that they were led by a woman. Um, I went once to the royal court and the chair was not with us. So I had to lead in uh, going inside the royal court. And I remember that the members did not want to follow me. They wanted to stand in front of me. And then one of the uh, men in the royal court came and said, no, the, 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 the vice chair should be leading in the entry protocol wise. Uh, so that was a big commotion. These were, this is one of so many stories I can sit down and, and tell you about uh, going to meetings, uh, to uh, ministries where I'm supposed to be heading the meetings and the security guard at the bottom does not want to allow me to come in. And I wait outside until somebody recognizes that I'm not there. And, and, and. But for me, these stories are... The more of these challenges I faced, the more I wanted to move forward. You finally, you were uh, you, you you were offered a position, an elected, but you were elected at a later date to a position that was then rescinded. Is that correct? And you decided to no. resign. So then came the municipal council elections for municipality. And I was interested to go in there. So I found out that I love uh, elections. I love to go into elections. <laughs> it seems like it. You're... <laughs> what yeah. do you like and about uh... it? Do you like the campaigning? Do you like the winning of it? What is it about elections that you find attractive? Yes, the campaigning I find um, um, very energizing. The planning, the strategizing, and then finding out that you succeeded because of correct strategy. And, um, and then, you know, it's, it's all about once you win, then you have to take it seriously. Because campaign and election, there's nothing serious about it. It's really a competition. But once you win, it's not a joke anymore. You can no more step out or step back. However, for me, so we won 20 women in Saudi Arabia were won the elections. And one of the reasons and great... Uh, reasons for us is because a lot of people had not joined the elections. Um, people were a bit um, uh, pessimistic about what will the municipal council do. So anyway, we won. I walk in to this meeting and supposedly all policies and regulations were pro-women. Women are going to participate on the council on the, at the same table and then this, uh, again, new challenge, the, a few of the boards decide no women with us. Women should be segregated into another room and meet through the Zoom. And I spent four months, so four meetings, and then I decided, no, this is not my thing. I cannot be fighting uh, against segregation on one side and being the vice chair of the Chamber of Commerce and sitting at the top at the head of the table, and in another meeting, uh, being in a small room, segregated, uh, just because the men felt that they did not want to have uh, other board members share with them 
uh, the meetings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you resigned? I resigned. Uh, sadly, um, so of course the media is very interested and all media wanted to understand why and had that. So I had made a decision that this was not, my life was not a cool story for the media. And my decision was not a cool story for the media. While my decision was a decision because this cannot happen anymore. Women can segregate if it's their own personal choice to segregate. That is respected. If women don't want to be in the same room with men and don't feel comfortable doing that, that should be their own choice. But segregation can no more become a man's choice uh, inflicted on women. And therefore, uh, so thank God today this does not exist. Today uh, we have had five years of reforms in policies that support women. Um, everything is happening so fast here today that uh, I'm watching, I'm observing. So I'm no more in the Chamber of Commerce. I am no more uh, working with any of the government institution, but uh, I today only take care of the family business and I work with the family. But observing the yeah. change around me is uh, is so it's an amazing feeling. And and you're you you feel positive with all the things that are happening now in the country. I'm sure with you know the opening up and the inclusion of of. I don't have to feel or not feel. I just look at my daughter um, um, feeling included in society, feeling part of society. I look at my daughter. The minute she graduated, came back to Saudi, she found a job. Isn't that the most rewarding thing ever? Uh, she found a job where she feels that she, is, um, um, she has a role. She's not just an extra number. It is a true job where she is participating. Men and women are listening to her opinion. Uh, she has uh, some of the leading uh, people in her company are women. So she has women bosses as well, so who are making decisions. Um, now it's a whole new world. And, and, and in, in when you think about it, compared to the, the period you, you were experiencing in government and being uh, more in the public eye, to where we are now, that, that phase has happened very fast, actually. Yeah, it's about a decade. Of course, the, um, the slowing down for me was my uh, last pivotal uh, uh, experience. So That was a conscious choice, wasn't it? Some of it was conscious. Some of it was because I finished my terms. So in the chamber, I had spent another 14 years, so three terms, and I, decide, and, and I felt that so anyway, I had to leave because I wanted to leave and because three terms, I think, is more than anything. And if you, you, you can't do more after three terms. But also, it's very important to realize that I was not, I didn't have the energy anymore. I was not, uh, and it's important to go into a place where you are going to sit on a board or sit on a council or whatever. You need to have the energy. You need to be positive and you need to want to make a difference and a change. If you're going into a place where you have the mood of nothing is changing anyway, who cares? It's the same. It's been the same for 50 years. 
then absolutely nothing will change. So this is the right time to leave. Yeah, and I think also to leave the way for new, new fresh faces, new fresh voices, it's always a good thing to, to step, you know, to take, you know when it's time to leave, you know? So I'm enjoying today mentoring a lot of young people. I get the energy through them, uh, through their experiences. I'm loving it. Uh, listening to their challenges and the obstacles that they face. And at the same time, I am, uh, I am part of some um, uh, committees. So I'm, I, I still go to this committee at the chamber uh, that supports um, the development of tourism. You know, and it's interesting. I need to feel that I'm still well informed of what is happening so that when I mentor young people, I at least can give them uh, a roadmap that, is, uh, that, is, uh, that they can use. But not knowing what is happening and giving advice is not too great. So what is next for you, Lama? Khalas, I am now uh, more, um, as you know, I am more involved in the family business. And... Uh, that takes a lot of my time. And uh, I'm also on other boards, other businesses. And, um, and that's it. So that's enough for you at the moment? For me, yes, this is it. I supervise at the macro level. Um, I am not yet interested to go back any, anywhere. Uh, but I always have my door open. You know, I'm not, um, I'm not a person that says, no, I will never go back to this. Yes. This is how you can get opportunities, by feeling that when it's time, the right opportunity will come to you. But it was, it's good for me to slow down a bit. I think my, my body and my mental state needed it anyway. You've spoken a lot about how um, you've been involved in um, in different government institutions and so on. Do you think there's room for the creation of a, a sort of a think tank? Could that be somewhere where you could put your energy? Is 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 that the sort of thing that is doable in Saudi? We already, I think, have uh, three or four think tanks on the ground at this point, and. Um, for sure, I, uh, I have participated in a few of their debates. So um, I do get invited and I do participate. Um, I've been very lucky to uh, participate at the B20 Saudi Arabia Executive Committee last year, which meant that I had to also be well-connected, um, read a lot about the uh, situation and the cases, especially with the COVID happening globally. I participate this year as well. I am part of the task force for B20 in Italy. I've been part of these things for the past eight years. Um, that also is important because this sets the tone worldwide, yeah. not just in Saudi. I mean, this sets the tone worldwide. And I think I have um, attended enough and learned enough on things that have to do with gender and uh, inclusiveness around the world that um, 
I want to contribute more to these issues. And I think I can contribute more to these issues. It's, uh, and it's an ongoing, it's not because um, uh, Saudi today is reformed or the Western world is moving forward or other countries have democracy. Um, the gender issue is still an issue that where the world needs to do uh, more to support it. It's not enough where we are today. Thank you for listening today. This episode of What I Did Next was brought to you by ANT Media with me, Malak Fuad, and is co-produced by Shirag Desai. Please remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for updates on the show. Just search for What I Did Next. I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review in your podcast player. This boosts the show's ratings and helps us reach potential new listeners. Our next episode will be in two weeks' time, and we really hope you can join us then.